We're on the Lord's team, the winning side. So raise your glass. Welcome to the Catholic Man Show. Welcome to the intro that is hated the most. That the is most, our most hated. The most I negative like feedback I that like we've that ever received too. from the intro. I did all the singing in that intro. People, well. don't, people don't know that. I did all the singing. He didn't do that. That's no. why they hate it. That's not, that's not true. That's not true at all. I can't. I, I'm like George Washington. I cannot tell a lie. I cannot tell a lie. Adam Minahan here with David Niles. We have a great interview, uh, second half of this show, talking about homesteading, talking about uh, you know living off the land, talking uh, about uh, apples, about apples, cider, cider chickens. Uh, it was a farmer that. So we had two farmers on the show today. We had David Niles. Yep. We also had. Uh, uh, yeah, because I'm a far- I have four chickens. I'm a farmer. You're a farmer now. Yes, we made that very clear a couple episodes ago. I, I uh, let me just tell you. I intend to continue to make that clear episode after episode for a while. We'll see how long it goes, but I just want people to know I'm a farmer because I have four chickens. And we hope that it ends quickly. It's like me and other professional farmers. We're we get each other, like we get we have inside jokes that we make that, that other people don't get because you're not a farmer. Right. I have some chickens and so I Look, you just I get the I get the jokes because I know the stuff, right? Because I'm things. a because fa- I'm a farmer, right? And get up early right. and stuff. yeah, and like eggs yeah. and chickens and I get it stuff. I mean, so anyway, uh, I I don't want to I don't want to go on and on except that that's in exactly what I intend <laughs> to do to do <laughs> episode after episode. Yes, we got right. We got Juan on the buttons. Thank you, Juan, uh, for all of your work. Your one year evaluation is coming up very soon. I'm anxious to give it. We'll see how it goes. Um, I want. I would just anticipate your your pay to be cut a lot. I mean, for actually, you know what? On a percentage basis, it's his birthday today. Let's give him a little bit of slack. Yeah. Okay. Have, you know, I what? will. I will um, suspend the truth until tomorrow. Happy birthday, one. Happy birthday. You have really good friends. Happy Uh, 16th birthday. Dave, we are picking up a couple new uh, Catholic radio stations in the Texas area. We can't say, I don't think, officially yet that the location's in Texas. However, we can say that... Can we not? I don't think... I don't believe so yet. Um, What if we just did? I mean, like... What if we just... They could stop airing us as well. we just officially did Did anyway? But... uh, It would be like us. It would be like us. It would be on brand. Um... (laughs) But uh, for those who are just now listening for the very first time to the Catholic Man Show, we welcome you. We do three things most episodes. Uh, the first thing we do is open review and enjoy a beverage. Uh, the second thing we do is we I'm gonna we, get started we, we on so, that. We sometimes talk about a man gear of some <laughs> sort, something that a man needs, uh, wants, desires for his day to day life, and then we have a, a, a discussion. Uh, today we had a. Like we said, we had a, a special guest on for the second half. Uh, but tonight, today, everything we, we do, we try to focus around uh, virtue. Uh, and so today we're we're drinking a Clyde Mays. Cl- Clyde Mays. It's a straight bourbon whiskey. 
Dave, I, I would like you to try it and give your tasting. Oh, I was going to, yeah, give your tasting notes to it. Okay, so on the nose. The, the uh, on the nose, it's, it, it's a very standard bourbon vanilla on the nose. Okay. 90, I, I would say 90%, I'm, I'm, I'm using 90% like in a hyperbolic, not hyperbolic, uh, no. in, a, in a general way here. Sure. That most most bourbons you can get vanilla on the nose. Okay, mm-hmm. to me, that's what I'm getting. Maybe a little bit of clove, but it's mostly just like the standard bourbon. It's interesting because their out. flavor profile that they have on the official website does not mention vanilla on the nose. Well, they missed it big time. They, I definitely think they swung a miss. Yeah, I mean they're they're trying to distinguish themselves is what right. they're doing. Okay. Uh. So just for the nose, so the Clyde Mays straight bourbon, mm. uh, the nose is soft and sweet on the nose with aromas of brown sugar, baked apricot, wild strawberry, and nutmeg, which would have been, you, you did kind of say clove. A lot of times the clove spice nutmeg uh, mm. can, you can kind of relate to. Uh, yeah. They're sometimes intertwined. So to me, the, uh, the, the clove. What about the palate? On the palate. Let me just tell you, like, my first big picture impression here, very good. I like this one, okay? I like it more than I like most. You'll also like the price point. What is it? $38. Yes. So, like, this is one to buy. Yeah. Like, like there's, a, there's a lot of them that, I, that we have on the show that I say, not worth the money. Absolutely worth the money. This is one to, to buy, to drink, and to serve. Mm-hmm. I can just tell you, like this is this is a good bourbon. You're not. It, it's it's not like this is going to be the best bourbon you're going to put in. No, but in, it's not somebody's glass. In any way, shape, or form. But if you serve this to somebody, even a whiskey drinker, even someone who drinks a lot of bourbon, who drinks a lot of whiskey, they're going to say, "Hey, this is a good glass of whiskey. What is it?" Yeah. You know, especially if they don't know it. So for thirty-eight bucks, absolutely something. Like if you're looking to stock your bourbon. Do it. Cabinet, the, your your liquor cabinet. Get this one. Yeah. Um. So I do get the clove. It's to me not on the nose. I don't pick it up there, but I do get it on the on the uh, the aftertaste. Okay. Uh, it's a good long finish. Mm-hmm. Um. To me, so I do get some of the clo- the spiciness of the clove. It's not so much the flavor of the clove, but clove clove is a spicy. You know. You know. So I I, I do pick it up there at the I, end. I pick up what you're setting down. Yeah. I get some uh, some butter, a little bit of butter on the on the palate. Have you ever had Irish butter? Yes, um, because I am Irish, and I eat butter. Okay, the palate actually I says. I don't actually know that I've had Irish butter. I don't know. Oh, dude, it's really what what makes Irish butter? It's not. It's like better, just a better butter. better butter better butter 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 butter. Uh, on the palate, it says it's wonderfully soft with a complex aromas of but barrel spice, which is what you're talking about. Okay. Barrel spice, fruit, and oiled leather finishes long mm-hmm. and delicious, which you hit. You said it was finished long. One of these times, I would like to reverse the roles. You know, honestly, you, I get a little I, bit of banana on the on the palate. Just just a hint. Not I would, a whole I would lot. like you to do it next time, and like me, me try to figure it out. Typically, why, I'm no. Why don't the, we just do that all the time? Well, I don't care. Yeah, fine. Why do you even read the thing? We should because it's always interesting it. to know what they what they say. Well, we should both figure it out and, and then, then read, read it. it. Yeah. Okay. 
Fair enough. Dave, we're also. I'm, I'm, I've been practicing, bro. You're doing. You're doing a lot better. Thank you. I. Th- I feel like I would like to acknowledge it. I. Th- Thank you. Yes, I do appreciate that. You're welcome. Uh, because I, like for I a long time, I, like no, you have, no, that was the acknowledgement. No, no, I'm no. Good. I was going to acknowledge you in that like you oh. have done a good job for a long, long, long time, for like four years now. It's taken me that long. <laughs> okay, so, so I'm just hey, bro. I'm proud of you. Thank you. Thank you. One of the other things that You're we're welcome. doing is we're going to the Oklahoma catholic men's conference this weekend right super excited about that jeff cavens is going to be there i know most of you guys who have listened to mm. the podcast before we have promoted uh my uh father mike schmidt's bible in a year a podcast it's phenomenal he's pulling it from the great adventure bible series right by That's, jeff cavens like jeff cavens gets a should be getting he does he gets a lot of the credit for right. that for that podcast so does father mike schmidt obviously uh i mean he's better looking I mean, I was, I was trying to resist, <laughs> like, because it, that? like for like saying, oh, he gets some of the, so much credit because he's so good looking because he gets credit for more reasons than that. Right, but he does. Also, he is so he's. Look, we can just be honest. <laughs> he's a good looking man. Okay, yeah. but um, I am currently doing the uh, a Bible study on Revelation by Jeff, Jeff Cavins. It is phenomenal. It's it's put out by Ascension Press. Mm-hmm. So if anybody out there is looking for a good Bible study to do, mm-hmm. Jeff Cavins one on on Revelation, it is very very good. I I've done other ones by Jeff Cavins that I haven't enjoyed quite as much as I am this one. This is one of his best ones, I think personally. I've seen some other of Jeff Cavins' material. Jeff Cavins is a good presenter. Yes, I, I I'm a, I'm a fan. So knowledgeable. I'm a fan, but I will tell you that this one. On Revelation, is the one to get not Revelations. This is a pet peeve of mine. I just want to get it out there. If you say the Book of Revelations, you're pet peeving me. That's what you're doing. I don't like it. The book is not Revelations. So glad I know this now. It's Revelation. There is no S. It's not plural or possessive. It is the Book of Revelation. But we are going to the Catholic Men's Conference. He will be there. Yes. Um, we'll be interviewing. I am so excited Actually, to interview him. You're going to be interviewing him. Um, and we're going to put the in- interview up for our patrons. Yeah. So you can go to patreon.com slash the Catholic Man Show if you want to support the show. So, yeah. So, we're, we're that's this weekend. I'm really excited about it. I'm, I'm just also excited. A lot of tradition behind this conference. And so, I'm really yes. glad that we get to go. Me too. I was a little bit nervous because of the whole coronavirus thing. Right. I, people, that's what I was people, about to say. Like, I'm so excited I, to be able to see. People get nervous about it. I like, was. I'm so glad it's happening. Catholic men right. all together praying. Right. Uh, you know, every every time we go to the Oklahoma Catholic Men's Conference, what happens is we hear that there's over, uh, nor like normal outside of the uh, outside of this. Mo- there this will year. not be the same crowd. There won't not be the right. same crowd. Yeah, I mean, but, just just uh, full it's disclosure. It's typically like it's uh, not the same this year. You know, 700 men go. To well, it's almost confession. a thousand. Well, no, seven hundred men go to confession. Oh, oh to confession. There's seven hundred right, yeah. confessions being heard. Uh, men are they're praying together. They're like just like in communion, loving the Lord, receiving His mercy, worshiping Him. Mm-hmm. Uh, men need that. I'm so it's excited be great this year to too. get back into that. So when we get back, we will uh, continue our conversation. We're on the Lord's team, the winning side. So raise your glass.
Welcome back to the Catholic Man Show. I'm David Niles here with Adam Minahan. This segment brought to you by Select International Tours. Go to selectinternationaltours.com slash the Catholic Man Show and check out check out their their selection guys because uh, really they support our show. They have a they they really do have a good selection of, of uh, tours. If you guys are looking to go on any pilgrimages this year, the pilgrimage industry is way way down. Just just look at the sh- look at the screen right now. If you're checking out the YouTube channel, just check them out. Uh, five hundred dollars off. Five hundred dollars off for couples per right couple now. for right now. I mean I mean like. That's, and, that's, and, and, that's a lot of money. And you can cash it in uh, for a full year. So you, you get a full year to decide uh, where to go, right. $500 off. It's a win. Yeah. So do that. Just check them out. Yeah. Thank you. Okay, so we are going to talk to a homesteader today. Mm-hmm. Full disclosure, we actually talked to him already. So we already know what we're going to say to him. But it hasn't happened yet. Podcast time. Mm-hmm. It's gonna be a good. It's it's gonna be good. Like I can already tell you, it's gonna be good. Yeah. I really it was it was, it was a really a, good conversation. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Yes. Uh, so, David, here's something that I wanted to talk about a little bit is uh, on uh, festivals, like festivities. Okay. We were, you know, we're we're about to go into Lent. Yeah. And and actually, we talked about uh, the cyclical nature of uh, the church and how and life. You know how how there are right. different uh, times in the church. And the importance of when we feast and when we fast. And, right. Um, uh, I was reading, actually, I was reading Peeper uh, earlier yesterday, and he was he, he makes this really important point about how uh, uh, festivals, like f- festivities, really are only for celebrating in the divine. When when we get to the point where we're having festivals or festivities uh, in the secular way, that mm-hmm. uh, we're losing the the fabric, the, the moral fabric of society, because yeah. you're you're making up things to celebrate, uh, which means that if you have to make things up to celebrate, if you have to make up reasons to to feast, uh, it, that that it just says becomes something. more work. Well, uh, I think uh, yes, I, as, it, I, yes. as I recall, he, he right. actually talks about that um, secular celebrations when they're detached from. The virtue of religion, and religion is a virtue that they actually become a uh, like a a cynical form of labor, right? Because now you're forced to celebrate in a certain way according to certain traditions right. that mean absolutely nothing. They don't. There is actually nothing to be celebrated, other than the fact that this is what society is some doing. Some arbitrary set of values mm-hmm. decided. decided it, it, it's do. sort of like taxes you know like why do you get a two-thirds deduction i'm just making this up like for a if you have a home office in your garage Mm -hmm. you know like well that's just what the irs decided there's no real reason and so it's like that's kind of festivity from a secular perspective it's just that's what they decided right right you know and so like yes there is something about that there's a but like there's a cyclical cyclical nascent cyclical thank you yes nature you're to, welcome yeah to i don't know why you said thank you to me but I was, I was actually saying it to myself that i said it the right way but okay um but you're welcome i appreciate it all the same yes that yes we have like a pattern to things that 
you know, the, the, the things are dependable. Right. There, there's something about that that um, there's a certitude to life that we, we can count mm-hmm. on certain things to, to be a certain way, mm-hmm. right? Um, but when it comes to festivity, it's the most crucial thing in the liturgical calendar, in the season of things. In fact, the, um, the festivity is more important than, than the, the fasting. Sure. I think, did I mention this in the last episode? It's tough to remember because we always talk and we're always having these conversations I I, and like, it's tough to remember. You. I'm with you. I have no idea what I said on the episode and what I just said to you in person. Right. But, um, the, uh, the feasting is more important than the fasting mm-hmm. because the feasting represents a eschatological reality mm-hmm. and the fasting represents an, earth, an earthly reality. Okay, so we fast... To be sure, to be sure, we should not be feasting without the fast. Right. So the fast comes first. It is uh, primary. It is primary in a temporal nature. So you know the fasting should be first, mm-hmm. but the feasting is more important. Well, it's the same way. I mean, you have run this parallel, and this is what Peter does really well: is that the the you work so that you may rest, right? You know, you... you Exactly, you right, know, like exactly. Work, That's why we work. Right, so that we Because resting is so important. Right. We fast because feasting is so, so important. important. And the then, heavenly reality is so important. Right. That we fast in preparation for it. Right, and that's what gets so beautiful, like, when you start thinking about, like, you know, the feast of the Lamb, the, the, you know, the right. Last Supper, like, you know, being able to rest in, in God, like, eternal rest right. grant unto Him, O Lord. Imagine that you're about to go to someone's house, and they have this, you know, they've told you, they have a feast prepared, every, like, delectable food that you have ever wanted, everything that the uh that the senses could desire is going to be there the appetites thank you uh is going to be present in the highest form Mm -hmm. and right before you go over to this to this place you just eat a bunch of crackers and you know you just fill yourself up on junk food right that's just not as good so when you get to the feast hypothetically let's just say like uh mint chocolate chip ice cream no that's not what we're talking about no Okay, so, I mean, like, mint chocolate chip ice cream is going to be one of those things at the feast, and you know it. Don't even try to pretend. But let's just say that before you get there, you eat a bunch of just, like, mediocre junk food. I mean, it's not necessarily bad, but it's just mediocre. And so when you get to the feast, you can't even feast right? because you didn't fast. You see, that's what I'm saying is that that's what the church is saying, I think, too. That the fast is a way of preparing for the feast. Right. Right? And it's not just about fasting. It's about um, all kinds of discipline. Mm -hmm. It's about all kinds of... um, The asceticism. Yes. Ways of preparing the senses, preparing the appetites Mm -hmm. for the feast of heaven. Right. And if you're a man who can't control your appetites, then you can't give yourself to others. You can't love sacrificially to somebody else when your appetites are are controlling you like right. i think you actually said that you said that 
uh, in some form uh, on our last episode at the seat conference. I'm not sure if it was yeah, yeah, recorded. Yeah. Yes, I was going to bring this up again. Um, I'm glad you're doing it now. I, I, like, I, I'm not sure if it was recorded or not, but uh, it could have been in between. But oh, you're right. It was it was between segments. Right, but you uh, but you had mentioned when a lady asked uh, what you know, what should I be looking for in a man mm-hmm. to, uh, like who I should be marrying, and you said very quickly and abruptly, and like when you first said that, I was like, oh man, that was. That was intense, and then I, started, I wanted it to. I wanted it to be startling. Had, yeah, you had, I mean, and it was effective. But you said like, if a ma- never under any circumstance marry a man who does not, who can or will not fast, who can't fast for you. It, yeah, if a, if a, if a man cannot fast for you, if he can't fast at all, is I think is really what I said. If 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 a man cannot fast, he's not worthy of being your husband. If he cannot say no to himself, he will never. Ever, ever, ever say no to himself for you. Okay. And, and so learning to fast is a part of the discipline of masculinity. Right. So for all and of you men, what, for all of you men in the to... world, if you cannot say no to the chocolate, mint chocolate chip ice cream, Adam, as you so, easy, easy, easy as you do. brought up, because, because it's trash. Mint chocolate chip is delicious. It's trash. But if you can't but say no Adam, to it, what would you know about ice cream anyway? You know. Uh, so, if, but if you can't say no to the mint chocolate chip, regardless of how delicious it is, mm-hmm. then you are never going to be able to say no for other things that are harder to say no to for greater goods. Because right. you mint, can't, you can have that sacrificial love that Christ is right. calling you to in marriage when he when he says, uh, "Love her as Christ loved the church," yeah. which he died for the church, he laid down his life for the church, he shed every single. Um, every single like droplet of All blood, of blood right. for for the church, the whole thing, and you you're not able to do that if you can't deny yourself. Which as we're going into the penitential season mm-hmm. and we're discerning what we should be uh, giving up, what we should be sacrificing, uh, the alms giving that we should be giving uh, in this season, which should look different than uh, the other seasons throughout the year. Yes. Uh, we need to be reminded that we have to subdue these appetites that we have. And let's be honest, a lot of times it's very, I mean, it's uh, in today's world we have very good food. We have very good drink. We have very good, you know, a lot of things that appease the appetites in, in today's world. And so it's easy to take advantage of of these uh, common things that we have. That's why Exodus 90 is so good, right? Like you, you take away yeah. uh, um, hot showers, you take away uh, all of the finer things in life. And yeah. you do that not for in and of itself. You're not, you know, Marcus Aurelius here where you are right. denying yeah, exactly. it for, you know, for, we're not masochists, right? We're not. We're, we're not doing that. We're doing it. It's not like so we like we to may, suffer, so that we may enjoy it for its goodness. Right. That it, we may. It's the very fact that we don't like to suffer that makes the suffering valuable, right? So let me ask you this. Uh, you know, and we're recording this a little bit ahead of time. But what are you going to do for Lent? Do you have a, Have you decided? Do you think that's an appropriate thing to ask? Uh, it's not. A, it's not appropriate to ask anybody. But you're my best friend, and I. Right. And it's only like a couple of people that. The watch yeah, the I'm actually going to do Exodus 90. That's what I'm going to do. I'm doing Exodus 90 for We can do it together. Yeah. We, we can be, we be my anchor. Best buds. All right. When we get back, we'll talk uh, to Michael uh, about homesteading. It's a really great epi- a really great interview. Make sure you tune in. One Lord's team. The winning side. So raise your glass. 
This segment of The Catholic Man Show is brought to you by The Catholic Woodworker. Go to thecatholicwoodworker.com for heirloom quality home altars, crucifixes, and rosaries. It's also the only place where you can get the official rosary of The Catholic Man Show. Type in promo code TCMS for 10% off all purchases. TCMS for The Catholic Man Show. CatholicWoodworker.com. You remember the ELO song, Don't Let Me Down? Please don't ask me dumb questions. Welcome back to the Catholic Man Show. Sitting here with David Niles, Juan Posada on the buttons. We have a special guest in studio that we will not name, but he is praying for us and all who are listening to the Catholic Man Show currently. We have a very special guest, as we promised, a guy that I have been following on Twitter. Not that I've been following. That would sound very awkward if I said Like stalking I, I on stalking Twitter. Yeah. I've been stalking. But a guy that I have uh, followed on Twitter for, very long, for a long time, and I'm very excited to, to talk to him today, Michael Gadis. I'm ex- thank you so much for hanging out with us this evening. It is going to be a lot of fun because we have a lot of questions for you. <laughs> I'm happy to be here, guys. Okay, and Michael, go ahead and give us uh, the Twitter handle so that way people can follow you on Twitter in the event uh, they would like to. What is the handle? It's, I think it's MichaelTG09 is the handle. Yes, I just looked username, it up. Yeah, my username being uh, Michael Thomas of Sharon. So one of those two will, will find me. Excellent. And so you are a homesteader. Yes, sir. Up in upstate New York. Yep, about uh, about an hour west, due west of Albany. And we're settled right in between the Adirondacks and the Catskill Mountains, and in between is the Schoharie Valley, and that's where we find ourselves. Let me ask you this. What is the temperature right now? You're going to quiz me. I don't know. I'm not close to the thermometer. but That's okay. Just what it's, do you... it's cold today. It's been cold the past little bit. I think we're suffering through the same cold snap that most people have have been suffering through around here. The snow hasn't melted in quite a long time and just keeps on piling up. And it's over the tree guards at this moment, which just lets me know that it's it's been cold for a long time. <laughs> that is... That sounds like a lot, yeah. a lot of snow. Yeah. I will tell you, though, right now, this is Oklahoma, okay? So we don't get the same... The the current the key current key personnel time and temperature is zero degrees. The feels like whatever they call that negative eleven. For us, this is like panic. This is like a, a this is a this panic is like mode. Panic. It's time to panic. You know, how, like they say, there's never <laughs> a time to panic. We all decided this is it, and we're gonna do it. We're panicking, but don't panic. But still surviving, really. Yeah, we'll be all right. Yeah. So you also make cider. Uh, I'm interested yeah. in. Uh, maybe you can tell a little bit of your backstory, but in the process of like, how did how did we decide to make cider? Maybe what even is the process of making cider? Mm. I think that would be a good, mm. like, fun uh, thing to talk about. Like, how do you make cider? Yeah, yeah. So it's 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 a good place to start because my homesteading grows from cider and not the other way around. Um, really? Me and my wife were small business people. We lived in Albany for about fifteen years and. Ran a variety of businesses, and at uh, every um, holiday time, me and a buddy would 
make cider, right? We, we live in upstate New York and we'd set up a carboy and fill it with some juice from a local orchard and, and make some cider. And uh, maybe sometime about a decade ago, uh, we both were like, hey, maybe, maybe this is something we could do a, on a bigger scale. And so that one carboy turned into two and then that to three and then that to four. And then before you knew it, I had like the first floor of my house was like a tiny little, you know, cidery. <laughs> and we were passing quite a bit of cider. And um, and then my cider pursuit uh, became focused, right? I wanted to I wanted to make something really, 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 really good. And I started to get interested in controlling the blend of apples that went into my cider. And so I would kind of go around all the different orchards and, and find the ones with the most interesting apples, ones that lend themselves to cider making. And then finally came to the conclusion that, wow, if I really wanted to control the blend in my cider, well, I'm gonna have to grow trees. <laughs> and, yeah. um, and so we, began at that point, you know, we were living in the inner city. I was working. Tough uh, to grow trees in the inner city. It's really tough. It is difficult. It can be yeah. done, but it is difficult. Right. You have to have big pots, um, really big pots. Yeah. <laughs> I was working as a paramedic for a while. My wife ran a pet, uh, pet service business. And, um, and we, you know, saved up our money and, and for a couple of years and started to look for uh, more land outside of the city. And, and we looked for a long time, and then finally we looked west to a little town called Sharon Sp Springs and found a beautiful colonial homestead um, that was built in 1799, which I, which I sit in right now. And um, wow. went to, you know, for a visit and, and looked at it and fell in love instantly and said, okay, that's, that's where we're going to do it. And we got right home and wrote the owner a letter describing to him, hey, we have this idea. We really want to, you know, plant cider apples um, on this land. And, and then uh, he accepted our offer. And, and shortly after that, we, we moved out here. So moving out to our farm in our, in our first pass was we were conceiving of it as like this business venture where we were going to grow a bunch of cider apples and, uh, you know, uh, have a big cider business. Um, and that was really the, the thing that pushed us uh, out, out to the land. So cider is really truly the genesis of our return to the land. Um, so to talk a little bit about cider, cider comes from you know English and French tradition. There's Spanish tradition in cider making, and there's um, there's German tradition in cider making. But um, but the English and French tradition of cider making is really what inspired us and. In those regions, traditional cider, uh, the apples that are grown are called bittersweet or bitter sharp apples, and they're apples with high tannic value. And these apples aren't really grown in the U.S. In fact, during Prohibition, a lot of these apples were, were cut down because they're not good for anything besides making alcohol. And so, um, my new favorite apples, though I will tell yeah, you, yeah, yeah, bitter, <laughs> bittersweet apples. They have great names too, like Chiseled Jersey and Tom Putt and Yarlington Mill and Ellis Bitter and these these wonderful English uh, Bulmers Norman, you know, French and English names. And so, our idea was to grow an orchard exclusively of bittersweet apples. And so, we showed up here and started experimenting with different rootstocks and 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 um, grafting. Uh, apples onto trees and and started to grow a bittersweet orchard um, and as 
as that process unfolded, I was called more and more to traditional cider making. We visited England at one point and kind of uh, went around and spoke to other cider makers. And, and tradition started to, the tradition of cider making, not just um, the kind of apples you grow and the way that you make it, but really the culture of cider uh, linked me to this idea of, of kind of traditional agrarian culture. Um, and and from that we started growing you know keeping a bigger garden and incorporating farm animals and kind of deviated at this point the deviation starts to begin from we're here to have a cider business to this project of traditional yeah embracing a lifestyle life. yeah yeah starts starts to emerge hmm. and then everything kind of you know, interweaves in this really interesting way, and and I and I start to leave uh, contemporary agricultural practices and start to really research more uh, traditional agrarian stuff. Uh, how orchards were kept, and we integrate sheep into our orchard, and we only plant on uh, traditional rootstock, so we don't grow apples on like a wire like a modern orchard would with dwarfing trees we are growing trees that will eventually be 30 feet tall and and we graft these old bittersweet varieties that are good for nothing but cider and so this our farm started to take like a a, a much different shape than being like uh, a business with quick and easy ins and outs and profits and losses and stuff it started something else began to emerge um and and from that we began to homestead uh as those things kind of developed, like one, one good thing kind of led to another. Um, we were afforded because of the business that my wife was running, her pet service business kind of morphed into a dog boarding business. Um, and I had uh, apartment buildings that I fixed. So we were kind of afforded this chance to just be on our land together with our family and and yeah, really be on the landscape in a way that I think is unique to mm. much of the modern experience. And so, um, that, hey babe, no, it's okay. Um, Jenny is tending to the fires and everything while I, while I uh, have a conversation. This, this typical. So, yeah, 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 uh, no problem. She deserves a round of applause. Um, absolutely, absolutely. So, so, uh, so, yeah, so, so that, so that's what emerged for us. And so, um, <sighs> That developed into us kind of embracing a very low-tech uh, orientation and then lots of readings, right? So we had this time to be on our farm. Not only would we garden and, and plant trees and care for our animals, but both of us would read and talk all the time and, and a real pursuit of kind of knowledge and, and, and reading emerged in both of us. And, of course, that that leads us eventually to... You know the the bigger questions, right? Um, and any pursuit of knowledge kind of leads you eventually to the deeper questions. And and so and in though in the wrestling with those emerges um, all all kinds of uh, you know answers. <laughs> and yeah, it's, it's a deep dive, right? As soon as you start getting into the these kind of questions, you realize the beauty of the church. And how no matter how far you go down the road, the road never ends. It is always just full of more and more beauty 
and uh, more right. and more knowledge that you right. get to to dive into. Yeah, Michael, we're we're yep. almost we're up at, at a break. Are you a full time home homesteader, or do you have like is this what you do for a living, or do you have a another job? So for for oh no, go ahead, go ahead. Oh, okay. For, for, for eight years, I was able to be a full-time homesteader on the farm, but um, the, the pandemic changed that. Mm-hmm. So sure. I, work yeah. full, I work full-time now off-farm. Uh, I, I, I was, uh, you know, our, our, our sit, you know, no one's boarding dogs anymore. And so our, sit- sure. our financial situation changed. And as the, as the man of the household, it, you, know, you have to adapt. I, you have to adapt. In order to keep this farm, I was forced to go off farm to work. So now I, I work full time off farm for a construction company. Um, awesome. Okay. Well, and, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll be right back with Michael here. Yeah, uh, we'll pick this back up on the other side of the break. We'll be right back. Sorry, Adam asked you. Uh, I asked you a question. I didn't realize that it was uh, as deep of a question yeah. as what it was. Uh, That's a bummer. Yeah. Man, though, about in the so, pandemic, it's it, it's no, the worst. It's yeah, crazy. yeah, it's been. I, I mean, I would it, imagine it's, it's particularly bad in New York, honestly. Yeah, it's really interesting, right? It's the it's the things that try us the most that like, you know, blessings emerge from sometimes. So I, you know, my my like on the surface, I'd be like, oh, the pandemic was so rough for us. We lost all our income. We, you know, we had, we like made no money for a year. It destroyed our small business, you know. And then at the other side, um, it worked a really amazing. Um, process for our family and kind of a reorientation of, of, of what we're doing and, and, and how we do it and a settling uh, of ourselves in this particular way that's been a real blessing yeah. for us. So, um, so you know, it's, it's, that, it's that thing where suffering causes, causes you to kind of sharpen some of the ways that, that, that you might be and, and, a, and a better self emerges from it. And so that's, uh, that's definitely what's happened for us hmm, in the God. pandemic process. But you know, like for so many people, it wasn't, it wasn't an easy, it wasn't an easy gauntlet to run. Sure. Can you grow apples in Oklahoma? <laughs> yeah. I'm not sure. I don't know. You might be in a better, I think the answer to that is if you drive around and look around, are, are there apple trees? I mean, there you guys are. Would be I'm pretty sure you're going, yeah. Can you draw, I just didn't know, like, because if well, you I can. Mean, the monks, the monks. Grow they, grow apples. Apples. they grow apples. They grow apple trees. I don't know if they grow the right, I think of these kind of apples. Yeah. Let me just tell you, Mike. If you can grow apples in Oklahoma, you should you should move here and grow apples here? Like just, <laughs> just totally get out of there. Like, people, yep. let me just tell you, people would still be buying your cider here in Oklahoma if that's where you were. I don't know how like what your distribution channel is. Um, probably probably yeah, hard so to. I don't, I don't actually because of New York's like. Uh, uh, really intense regulations. See, we don't have and, any of that. Yeah, we, we totally yeah, don't yeah. have any. <laughs> <laughs> we talk about it often. We've, we've been called the landscape that uh, challenges us in, in quite in many ways. But um, but yeah, so I um, the the thing with growing apples on traditional stock the way that I have is that I'm like eight years into a fifteen year process. So um, <laughs> yeah. so I'm I'm, I'm about, literally yeah. rooted here. Yeah. <laughs> The thing, the thing about homesteading is it, it's not a, it's not a quick turnaround. It's what about a, this? You know, they got those trucks that like. No, 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 no. They, like we're the, not, we're the not. big, like, like forklifts. Have you ever seen those? They like dig up a whole tree. Yeah. No. Okay. Yeah, yeah. We could dig up all fifteen hundred and, and drive them over. One by at a time. one. <laughs> that would be cost efficient. I don't think it would take eight years, though. That's the thing. Yeah. 
Although right. half of them might die. Okay, so just, Michael, we're yeah. we're uh, we got like twelve minutes, and then we'll have a little bit of time afterwards for to continue the conversation for a few minutes. We understand that you also, you know, are it's past, you know, it's, it's late over where you are as well. So, uh, usual. Bedtime. We will make sure to focus on in this segment to make sure to focus on New York. Uh, the uh, some of the practical questions that we were, we talked about, and then how spiritually it has affected your family. Uh, and your children, mm-hmm. and you as a father, and so on and so forth. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I mean, we have a lot of. I think that we have a lot of listeners who are curious. Who, I don't. I don't know that they're contemplating homesteading, uh, but they're at least. But I, I think that they are like definitely interested in it. So. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, I'll okay. try and be more succinct in my answers. Like I said, I can. I have a slow mind, so sometimes I can just kind of walk and ramble. So I, I will try and help. Help if you need to interrupt me. That, that's fine. <laughs> no. Do you have any pigs? I don't. I don't. I just particularly steered away from pigs. I try and focus Why? on things where the nutri- nutrient cycling to grow the animal um, is all contained within my farm. And so pigs would either right. cause me to grow a lot of grain or import grain from an external source. And so ah. I try and work with animals that can just exist on the grass cycle here. What if you got a cow? That would be great. We, we, most then you could, you know, you could feed the pig with the cow. That is, that, that is possible. It is, it is, that is a, you're, you're thinking here. Yeah, I am. it is possible. <laughs> well, I'm not actually thinking, I just know somebody else who does that. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, uh, sheep, uh, and geese are are the two I like. Geese are the only poultry that that can graze. And so, remember, I told you I was going to try and sell you on geese. Geese don't have a grain bill because you can set them on pasture. And so, I look for animals that I can just kind of set on pasture um, and and oh, really? and create nutrient nutrient cycling from the grass cycle on my land. Right, the, the, what comes out of the sheep ends up in the garden. They control the grass in the orchard, um, so I don't have to mow, and then we eat them. And so there's just this, there's every in and out with the sheep is kind of working back into the landscape. And the same thing is true with the geese. They dig for grubs in the orchard. We Mm -hmm. eat them, and they can eat pasture. So there's no, as few external outputs as possible, external inputs as possible is what I'm trying to achieve here. So... So they eat more oh, grass than the chickens. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, exactly, exactly. No, because no I've noticed the chickens, chickens kind of, they do eat some grass. I've noticed that like they will eat. They they definitely eat. They eat the weeds anyway. Yeah. The the broadleaf stuff. Yeah, a, a smaller uh, a smaller chicken flock can can usually you know subsist on on like kitchen scraps yeah. alone. You know, and and then and then whatever bugs they forage. So. That's pretty much where our chickens are at. Occasionally, we'll throw some grain at them in the d- different points of the year, but um, but mostly it's just you know kitchen scraps and uh, and uh, bugs, you know, foraging. I just caught a frog the other day. It was ridiculous. I mean, it's like pretty impressive. Oh, they all went crazy. All right, before we we go down another rabbit trail, one let's let's go ahead and let's roll and I have so many chicken stories and like I've had chickens do... for like two weeks. And not, I, can, yeah, I cannot <laughs> tell you how many chicken stories I have. Are we gonna do international <laughs> travel? We we will. Uh, I'm telling you, Michael, we're like the same person basically. Okay, definitely. 
It yeah. sounds like. Definitely. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> like. David, you also we're have. All a, not, we're all not so unique, right? <laughs> you, you also have a, a berry bush. So it's pretty yeah. much the same as well. I do. I have. Well, I have many raspberry bushes. There I have a blackberry go. bush and a blueberry bush. There you go. So you guys are basically the same. I mean, but I don't know what what the chickens are gonna do to it. So I'm like a little bit hesitant. Don't you? T- <laughs> don't chickens. Don't, do not eat my. You might end up looking more delicious than you do at the current moment <laughs> if you just if you don't touch. Don't. I'm just saying. They wiped out. They wiped out my tomatoes one year. So they uh, oh, they, they earned themselves a higher mm. fence. <laughs> mm. Might earn themselves a crock pot. <laughs> Welcome back to the Catholic Man Show. I'm David Niles here with Adam Minahan. We are joined by we are joined today by Mike Cadiz. Mike, does your farm have a name? What's your Uh, Brickhouse Brickhouse Farm and Orchard? Brickhouse Farm and Orchard. Okay, so you make you're making. What I would maybe maybe I would say like some of the best cider around. I I'd like to think so. Yeah, we have to so, get you a bottle first. So it's not like you're just taking Mott's apple juice and putting organic apples into it and leaving it on your counter for five days. No, it's a little different than that. It's it's a it's a fifty five gallon uh, wooden barrel, and it's okay. it's bittersweet fruit. So okay. it's all it's all. Apples specific for cider making. Do you make your own apple juice? Like, I mean, because I know I know that you can just take apple juice and put organic, unwashed apples, you know, and kind of get. Uh, you can make cider that way, but I'm yeah, guessing yeah, that I'm I'm guessing that you're doing something more than that. No, 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 no. That's it. I'm 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 following God's plan. You know, God God God's plan for all apple juice is to become uh, is to become hard cider. So all, I just allow I that it. to happen, and that, that's it. that's it. So no, my it's funny. I feel like any craftsperson um, goes through phases of of lots of intervention and techniques, and then eventually, like an elegant pattern arises where they do less and less and less. They just know what that less is better and better. And right. so the same is true with my cider making. I, I do very, very little now except set up just the right parameters. I don't use any additives. It's just, it's nothing but juice. Uh, nothing but juice in the barrel at all. So, um, and, and do you, are you guys making it year round? Uh, when, no, when, it's just winter one time. and summer? Or no, no, just one time a year? Yeah, just one time a year. One of the things about homesteading. Um, is that you fall into seasonal patterns. Um, and so, uh, you know, a lot of times in the modern world, we get used to like daily schedules right. and things are disassociated from their seasonality uh, that, 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 you know, you can kind of get anything at any time and, yeah. and, and all this stuff because you're keyed into global uh, networks. And one of the things with a, a real intense localism or, or a homesteading that is very based like in, in the landscape in which you live is that you begin to live in like a seasonality. Um, so my right. life moves much more with seasons and the rhythm of seasons. Um, it's something very, very profound. It was a shift that I found to be very, very profound. You know, I 
the same things happen every spring, the same things happen every winter, the same things happen every fall, the same things happen every summer. But, but each one of those seasons is very unique and has their callings to work that are very, and patterns and rhythms of the day that are very distinct in those different times. So you know, cider is made at the end of fall. Just, I think that just, the, the truths that you're getting at here are, are profound and things that people don't think about. But, you know, that something that the, the church has, has sought to teach people ever since her beginning. We have this liturgical season. We're on the Advent of Lent, if I may say it that way. Um, you know, and Lent doesn't happen all the time. It happens, you know, it's once a year. Talk about, if if you would, some of the spiritual insight that you may have gleaned from this seasonal approach to life, you know, where you can't just do everything every day because you want to. Mm-hmm. Um, there is, you know, uh, for, for me, um, my Catholicism arises as a faith of my ancestors, but um, the biggest way that it emerged in my life, I know some people find it immediately through gospel and some people find it through the actual traditions of the church. Um, the, the way that Christ emerged for me was was in, in the presence of creation. You know, uh, I would spend many, many days out in my fields uh, in, in, in the kind of the idea, uh, St. Benedict, I think, says it right, um, we lift our heart to the Lord when we labor and pray with our hands. Something to that effect is the is the quote. Um, and so I was in this daily process of labor with the land and then quiet contemplative time. Uh, we have like an oak grove in our property that I would spend a lot of quiet contemplative time in. And through that um, presence in creation and, and seeing the same place through the seasons, um, it wasn't like a, a moment of epiphany but uh, uh, in different ways, the, the, the Trinity arose for me. And I, I had a, I kind of, before I returned to the faith of my ancestors, I think wandered in a vague kind of deism that many Americans kind of wander in um, and, and would spend this quiet time. And, and, and uh, through that quiet, reflective time, all of a sudden, and, and not all of a sudden, but at, at various moments of epiphany in, in my own process, uh, the Trinity ar- arose for me very, very powerfully in the natural world. Mm-hmm. And that is one of the single most things that kind of drew me back to the faith of my ancestors, which is Catholicism, was with the undeniable emergence and presence of, of the Trinity in, in the living natural world. Um, and uh, And it had a deep and profound effect on me. It was very related to like... The earlier part of our conversation, which is like, you know, what led me to homesteading and my experience as a homesteader is very much tied up. And my experience with landscape and as a steward uh, and animal husbandry are all very, very tied up uh, uh, in the emergence, the reemergence of of Catholicism um, Mm. for me uh, in my life. And so. Yeah, it's been it's been a very very interesting process, but so so I think it gets to your question a little bit um, because that witness of the landscape, of course, is and presence in the landscape and work in the landscape is a seasonal thing, right? You you make hay when the sun shines, you know, you stack wood right, right. When, when when it starts to get cold, you you know you you uh, you you process animals at the end of the of the season, you plant trees at springtime, you know. And so all of the work is wrapped up in this in this seasonality. Um, so, yeah, it's almost yeah, like I, I think, as if God ordained a time for all things. For, for all this, yeah. 
uh, Michael, how do you... I think I, I wrote that, by the way. I just want credit for it. Okay, that's yeah. fine. I'll give you credit. Michael, how do you feel uh, that your kids have taken to this? Because, you know, by all st- today's standards, your kids are living a different life mm-hmm. uh, than the modern kid. Uh, I'm assuming that they are out in the field. Right. They're, they're not... They're kind of... Out, Anti-technology, not anti-technology. And I'm sure you the, get criticism from some people. Yeah, I mean about they don't. This, they're yeah. not sitting in front of a TV very often. They're not sitting in front of a computer. Uh, they don't have a cell phone. Most likely, I'm guessing. I don't know this for for sure, but I'm just kind of making some presumptions here. But like, how do you how, how do you see your 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 children's um, spiritual life, uh, faith life, being affected by being a home by living in reality by living as a homesteader? Um. I mean, our, our, my kids, ha- it's, it's interesting when you're, when you're raised in something, I don't think, when something is normal, it's not profound, right? right. And, mm-hmm. so, and so it's, it's not like my children are almost like saved the revelation of coming to the idea that our bodies are made up of the landscape around us. And in that is this miraculous communion with all of existence. That's just kind of like how they live, you know? But, but I also don't want to paint a picture like my kids don't, you know, my kids have screen screen time you know they they have their friday and sunday uh screen time moments where they your get to kids watch their still like video games and movies like everybody else's kids yeah that, <laughs> that is shocking <laughs> <laughs> but 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 at the same time they might you know 4k for a day with me or they might you know understand the slow fermentation of cider or how to see what a tree needs and listen to that, you know, but it's just common course. It's like woven into the fabric of their experience. So Beautiful. Uh, it's interesting for me to witness that, like, you know, I, I see my kids sometimes, you know, I come from a, from a, I don't come from an agricultural background. I come from a suburban experience. And so, um, you know, it's very, very modern experience. Uh, and, and so I was disassociated from, from where my food came from. I was, I was, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, separate from creation a lot of the time. And so all these things for me are these, every time I return to tradition, it's like this profound experience that I could talk ad nauseum about. But, you know, my daughter might lean on a fence at a friend's house and say, ooh, that piglet looks tasty, you know? <laughs> and uh, it, it it's just normal, you know, I, that's, that's I just do her that. life. I do that exact you know? same thing. Mike, a lot, of, a lot of guys maybe, and by a lot of guys, possibly just me, uh, but I a lot of times romanticize the idea of homesteading, right? I I'm in the day to day grind of uh, I, I, yeah. Know, I love I love the idea. I love the idea but of I homesteading have, without right? any experience about it. No, you know, no it's experience. nothing but right positive affectation towards the idea of homesteading. What would you say to guys like me though, who who are like have no really idea about homesteading? Romanticize it. Is it really? Is there a trap of thinking that it is more than it is, or? Yeah. Um, I I. Uh, I'm sensing a no. I'm the, sensing that you're saying no. It's just it's everything that's no, great. No, yeah, no. I wouldn't. I wouldn't say no. What I, where I think the trap lays is that people think that they can't connect to creation. They, they in, in a profound and deep way that they have to mm. put it off and be a homesteader. But but you can you can grow a, a, a robust garden on a half acre lot, you know, in the middle of the suburbs, and be 
deeply, deeply connected with your soil and the life around you yeah. in, a, in a profound way. Um, I used to have this hang up where I was like, I was only going to be a farmer if I if I made money at farming. And then there was some cro uh, bridge I crossed eventually where I said, no, no, I'm a farmer because I take care of the land and I build soil. That's what makes me a farmer. Making money as a businessman, you know, <laughs> caring about the soil and the life around me and tending to that and, and stewarding it in a way that respects it. That's what makes me a farmer. And that, that can be done at almost any scale. And so my thing would be that, that it's not, uh, don't put off. I think the romanticism that you might be feeling is, is the idea um, that it's far away, that, that, that you have to commit in some, you know, uh, uh, really intense way to become a homesteader. And what I would say to, to men, uh, uh, young men and, and, and anybody really is just um, there's opportunities in your life to follow the practicalities of your life to to to, to the point at which you're responsible for them and engage that responsibility, if that's too wordy, um, to know where your food comes from, to care about that, to make small steps towards um, towards responsibility to that. Um, and, and you can have profound, profound, deep connection without being a homesteader, you know? Uh, that's people, yeah, that's beautiful. Great. Yeah. beautiful. Michael, uh, we're going to pick this up on the other side of the break. If you're listening on the radio right now, go to our YouTube channel. You can check out the rest of this conversation with Michael. Uh, we are on the Lord's team. The winning side. So raise your glass. Okay, cool. Michael, I have a, probably the most important question of this entire episode is that if, if someone is discerning homes, homesteading, do they do they first need to discern the beard? <laughs> no, the beard is not a prerequisite. No, I, don't I don't know. I don't know. I th I don't know, Michael. I think <laughs> I'm not sure you're being honest with us right now. <laughs> I I have my suspicions that, that you that were actually, clean shaven. That was actually a good question, Dave. Because like if the people who are have I, you ever first, seen a homesteader well, without I, one me, of those? Let me, let me rephrase. Have you ever the, seen it? The, I have not. The first part of your question was actually really good. The like if, if you're discerning homesteading, yeah, you're, I know like people because it is something to be discerned. Yeah, you you discern homesteading. Like what are the? I will tell you one time. This is this is a 100 percent true story, and it is. This is not a joke. Usually, when I say this is a true story, it means it's a joke. This is not. I was on a plane with. I was waiting to fly home, and in the the terminal with me were these Franciscan uh, Franciscans mm -hmm. priests, and I was like talking with them. I actually got out this book I was reading in front of them, just like so, hoping that they would come talk to me, and it totally worked. They did come talk to me, and so I was talking to them, and then it turned out I was the assigned seating right between them. It's like on my nice. left was a Franciscan, on my right was two Franciscans. Uh, the CFRs. Yeah, yeah, Francis. Yeah, I mean, like legit. These are, the CFRs Fri are legit, Fri right? Okay, no, and I asked yeah. them the same question because all of them had these like, like beards, yeah. like behold, like behold upon uh, in the screen. And I asked them the same thing, <laughs> and he kind of laughed and he said, "Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, you do kind of need to discern the beard. I mean, like everybody has one, you know." I defer to the Franciscans. I think you should. I think. I think you should grow a beard and see how it makes you feel. That's 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 my that's my suggestion. I've done it, and it made me feel. It made me feel strong. I will tell you, M Michael, uh, two parter here. 
your your favorite part about homesteading and your least favorite yes, part? Yes, this is the question right here. Oh, um, my favorite part. Um, what's what's my favorite? I I um, there is a richness, right? And if you're attempting to take responsibility for um, you know your communion in this world and focusing on that very closely. Um, there's there's a, a, a powerful depth of uh, reality that emerges um, that is very very beautiful. Um, so that is that is that is definitely my favorite part. Um, I think my my least favorite part, uh, right? There's the animals that you lose, and there's the trees that die. Um, but I think my least favorite part of it is as I do that. As I, in my personal life and in my family, um, th this richness and deepness of uh, experience with the landscape and 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 uh, uh, responsibility to our communion emerges, um, to actually witness how in in the modern world how much it's forsaken and how much it is not regarded and how many people are departing from that. And how much the modern world presses people to depart from that hmm. is painful. It's it's painful to witness and understand the threads of tradition that are being cut. Um, and uh, and and so that's hard. You know, the more the more I get it, the more that I get what's being lost. That that the last generation of farmers that have the hand technique to understand how to cut and bale hay without machines are are passing on without having a, a repository for posterity to carry what they know and that that's dying out <laughs> that right. that 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 um that you know that that seeds aren't saved anymore uh mostly by you know corporations or that you know our topsoil is eroding at, at at terrifying rates you know that to understand um what is being lost and how fast it's being lost um is ter is terrible um so, yeah. So that's the answer. <laughs> that's that 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 would be the answer. You know, it's it's really driven me in my life to be, to commit harder and harder, but then to also at points in past feel like ah, like, wow, this is a very uphill. Uh, this is a very uphill. Uh, you know, battle. <laughs> you know, this is not. You know, or, or 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 yeah, yeah. It's it's difficult to witness the trajectory of the world and its forsaking of tradition and connection to the landscape while at the same time forging a path of deep, uh, a heartfelt connection with the landscape. That's let me give you, let me give you a different version of that question. What was the hardest adjustment when you went from being a city slicker to a homesteader? I mean, I mean, so this for you was, you know, a long time ago, because I imagine these adjustments took place very early on. I mean, was it, was it the, the detach. I I imagine for myself stepping into your shoes, someone or just for the average person who lives in town, there's a detachment from technology that needs to take place. But maybe that's not it. So like for for you, what was the what was the hardest adjustment? Yeah, yeah, but heating. <laughs> I think I think heating. Um, in uh -huh. our first year here, we weren't familiar with like heating with wood, and it was cold. It was it was brutally cold in our first year, um, 
so that that was one of the biggest adjustments yeah. that we went that, from like that, the little that is a serious thing yeah yeah we went from like a little apartment that was really easy to heat to a giant colonial house that was drafty and and we had really not a great grip on how to heat with wood and we've, we've gotten better at it you know, our stove is huge and our house is like very very warm now but um in our first year it was like you know uh you know if what what, what was the what was if if what, what was the thing we all freeze and die i don't we know all freeze and die. yes yeah we we, we really we oppressed we yeah if we don't chop wood we all freeze and die so so yeah that was that was an adjustment that was definitely an adjustment um we heat exclusively with wood now um yeah. And and our house is like toasty warm, but to get good at it was was a while. And you know, uh, there's um, you have and to. You, and you I mentioned that your wife was tending the fires just a second ago. I mean, it's like it's work to do that. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, it's definitely there's there's work, right? There's there's the work side of things, but we've always kind of been entrepreneurial people who are who are you know industrious, and and work was never like. A, you know, I think we, we enjoy the work. There's failure, you know, there's heartache when you like, you know, tend a sheep and she dies anyway, or you plant a tree and nurture it for eight years and it's your favorite one and it gets eaten by a rabbit, you know, um, for breakfast, you know, so there's like those heartache things, but, um, Wait, do you say you have you know, rabbits I'll, eating your trees ugh, right now? Yeah. It's terrible. Um, what kind of rat, what kind of rabbits do you guys have in, in New York City, those do you have like Monty Python the, and the Holy Grail kind of like rabbits? Yeah, they, they they eat the bark off the tree and it girdles them and kills them. So what's happening what? right now is that the the snow is what? piling up over the tree guards, and so the rabbits have access to the trunks again. You need more of those dogs. Those that dog yes, you have right there. Need, we have four. <laughs> Still you need not more dogs. And what kind of yeah, rifle yeah. is that behind you? I've wanted to ask you that from the moment I saw. Oh, that's a uh, that's a mini fourteen uh, two two three, uh, chambered in two two three. It's a, a family a family heirloom, and oh, there's okay. been there's been a rifle over this mantle um, since seventeen ninety nine, and as an American, uh, we intend to keep it that way. And so there's there's still one here to this day. Mm. Uh, Michael, one of the things I've said before, like, do you uh, do you know Dr. John Cutterback by chance? Have you ever run across some of his work, Dr. I'm John sorry, Cutterback? I'm sorry, who is that? Uh, Dr. John Cutterback. Oh yeah, you you know Dr. John Cutterback. Yes, uh, yes, I do. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Knows. Yeah, you sent me, you sent me a. Of course, he knows yeah, of Dr. Course. Cutterback. Yeah, like that's a silly question. One of the things that I I, I told no homesteader in the country that, that doesn't, doesn't know, know Dr. Dr. Cutterback. Cutterback. Yeah, right. One of the things <laughs> I, I I was t I, I told him one time, I think it was actually ironically on email or Facebook or something. Uh, uh, but I, I told him, there's not very many problems in this world that can't be solved by, by, taking, by taking your kids out and chopping wood. I knew that's what you were going to say. I knew that. You know, like, there's not very many problems in this world that can't be solved by just getting out there and chopping wood. And a lot of it has to do also with just, like, being a servant. Like, each family member has to be a servant to one another, and I think that probably has to be even more so as a homesteader right like everybody has their responsibilities everybody has their chores and we have to make sure that we do this together uh how, yeah, how have you seen that like is that the case or what are your thoughts there i'm sorry it is loud i'm struggling to hear a little bit um the uh 
uh, there is no there is no better uh, uh, place to understand yourself and your responsibilities than within the order of your family and your home. Um, home and family is known by reference to your place within it, and so. Uh, by spending every day together, like on a farm, and kind of working on a sustenance way, where your uh, where, where your home is also the means through which your existence arises, your 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 place emerges in this very profound way. And so, one of the discussions I think in our family, right, um, is is about our relative place to one another, and that's constantly reinforced by the by the work that we're called to do in our attempt to homestead and take more responsibility um, for, mm. for ourselves, where right, modernity kind of ha has this placelessness that uh, every single person is interchangeable and, and, and kind of a citizen unit, you know, um, abstract from a family. And, and in our home and in our roles in our home, our place is, is known by who we are, you know, and, 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 and that place is very, very important. And so, um, I don't know, I'm maybe mm, drifting from yeah. your question a little bit, but, but, um, that, that, that works on our family quite a bit. So my role as a father and my wife's role as a mother and, and my oldest son's role as a son, you know, mm -hmm. and, 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 you know, so, so on and so forth, uh, the importance of these places. And, and, and with that, a sense of who you are and who you're responsible and who you are responsible to defined by who you are responsible to and what you are responsible to emerges in this in this more profound way i think than when everything's just a turn of a knob and a click of a button and, right, and right. you're you're as interchangeable with anybody else in the role that you operate you know um that's yeah. that's that's not the way here you know um so yeah so, you know like yeah we this this be my last question because yeah, I know done, yeah. you know it's it's getting late and you got to go but I have found that so, uh, like one thing about me is that I'm a huge fire guy okay so I would totally be down with what you're doing heating wise at your house uh, in the winter I don't exclusively heat my house with wood um, but when I light a fire I do turn off the heater um, and I do I I am able within my fireplace to heat the entire house temporarily with just the fire. Um, and I have a two-story house and it works. I do turn the fan on just to get air circulation, you know what I mean? But what I have found is that heating my house with wood feels different. Like it's it just not in, not in the fact that it's warmer or anything like that. I just mean just the reality of it is different uh, and I find you know the whole family is now gathering around the hearth um, the hearth actually becomes the heart of the home instead of yes. just symbolically being the heart of the home um, there's just something that I connect with something that even the children I have I have young girls okay it's not like I even have a brood of, of boys I have I, I, I have three young girls and then a, a an eight-month-old boy but even even my daughters appreciate the fire. They that when I, when they see me doing, oh, are you going to build? What they'll say is, are you going to build me a fire? Which, which is just so so endearing. But um, there's just something I love about the fire, and I I think that as men, this whole like I, I think I know that this sounds ridiculous, but there's something about 
the return to chopping wood is like a return to authentic masculinity. You know, this, this, and I, I sometimes make jokes about it with my wife that if she sees me chopping, chopping wood, you know, like that's why we have so many children because she watches me chop wood, right? Like, but, uh, and you're chopping wood. Have you learned any lessons? I, I think what, you know, to speak to what you're speaking to, I think, is that when we return to these um, to these longer standing patterns uh, in in human life, whether it's whether it's raising your own, you know, meat or vegetables or chopping wood and, and, and heating your home with it, um, there's there's a richness that emerges uh, in, in, in the texture of reality that, that speaks to mm-hmm. you plugging in to patterns that have existed for thousands and thousands of years. Yeah. You know, just in the same way that we plug into the traditions of the church as Catholics, right? You understand that those traditions encompass knowledge and understandings that far surpass anything that you could hope to attain. And, all the years of your life and study, right? I think the same thing is true when we engage in 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 patterns uh, like the ones we're talking about that that are that are more timeless. Growing your food, pasturing animals, and processing animals. Uh, you know, fetching water, carrying and stacking wood, chopping wood. All these things. Um, a richness. I think it's why 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 a lot of men connect with hunting. Right. Um, there's this richness in the pattern that that emerges um, that says something beautiful and profound about this world that God has has put us all in. And so um, th- there's there's something ab- about connecting with those things that I, you don't need words to uh, right. to experience it, you know, and, and it's kind of available to everyone like the 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 richest life is the most simple one it's it's like paradoxical in this in this in this strange way but also i think clear to and speaks to so many people regardless of who they are and so i think that i think that that's what you're getting at you know um in in that experience with like oh my my house just feels different when i heat with wood you know and and you would just feel different if you grew all your food or you know um you know or, or carried your water or built your house or if you engaged in these in these more timeless patterns of existence where when we engage in, in, in more modern process that, that, that is maybe, you know, highly technologically dependent or uh, the, these things that don't have that same richness of, of tradition and pattern behind them, there's a depth of, of existence that's lost. Yeah. And, Inco- and I think inconvenient all... things are better than convenient. Yes. Things. That's yes. what I've learned. Yes, yes, yeah. yes. Limits and boundaries are... Uh, are very very important, <laughs> you know. Uh, yes, inconvenient things. Uh, uh, Wendell Berry says it in this beautiful yeah. way: the impeded, uh, the impeded stream is the one that sings, right? Um, which is uh, which is just a beautiful way, I think, of, of wow, that is framing it. And it gives the opportunity um, so, for gratitude to, to grow, right? It gives that uh, the opportunity for gratitude uh, to thrive whenever you have when you have. To, to do it that way um so michael man we do you, have a, a priest in the room uh, anything off the record father that you would like to ask any uh 
off no. the record things? No. no. Said, no. Okay. Michael, you have been a blessing to uh, talk to this evening. I hope that we can schedule something again to uh, maybe have you back on at a later date. Uh, I hope that everybody will uh, go check you out on, on, on Twitter. And um, I'm, I'm grateful for your time. And, and please give your best, uh, our, our best to your wife for uh, let us borrow you for the evening. Yeah, thank you. Th- thanks, guys, for having me on. And I'd, I'd be happy to, you know, uh, talk more with you guys at, at, at any point that, that you wanted. And then even past the radio show, if there's, you know, if this, if, if the idea of, um, if there's any way that I can extend myself to help you two, uh, and, and just you two people as, as, as men who want to connect deeper with the landscape or a homesteading experience or anything like that, please, uh, Please feel like that offering gate is open. Um, Thank that you. I, I'd love to. I'd love to help you guys. So, Michael, if um, any so, of our, I'm sorry, if any of our listeners want to uh, find out more about you, what you guys are doing, do you guys have a website that they can? Um, not, not really. We, if you, um, if you go to our Twitter, uh, my Twitter, um, you'll see that we recently built a cabin. Uh, we we built a timber frame cabin way out in our backfields, and we're hoping relatively soon to have a way to engage. We get so much um, interaction from people on our uh-huh. social media about yeah. um, you know uh, questions like you guys are coming at uh, uh, you know came came to us with and interest in what we're doing, and so that's kind of working. And I, right, I'm I'm someone who plants and cares for trees. I'm very satisfied with a slow emergence of things, and so. So we built this cabin, and I hope that it can be a vehicle to connect with more young men uh, who who are looking for this kind of return to the land, um, and uh, and uh, that that we can help. We can help be people who can help steward that process for people. So more more on that if you continue to follow my Twitter um, as that emerges. Uh, so if there's wonderful. somebody who wants to buy cider from you, uh, he didn't sell mm-hmm. it. You don't sell it. Yeah, I don't just... sell it. I, I only give it away. So you, you don't. You can't. You have to. You have to come and you have that to. That is the worst gift. business model I've ever heard of. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I'm coming to visit. Yeah. There you go. I can't wait to see it. <laughs> All right, Michael. Well, Michael, really, thank, thank you, so you. Thank you very much. You're a blessing. Cheers, I appreciate guys. it. Very God much. bless you both. Yes. God bless you. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye.